0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith, lived-in community. Well, this morning we're continuing in our sermon series, In the Psalms. Um, the last three weeks we have been in this series that we've titled, Assembly Required, focusing on worship, the gathering of God's people, the next three weeks, we're going to focus on the Psalms still, but we're changing the series title name to Built for More because we're going to be focusing on the Psalms, but through it, um, looking at God's call on our lives more specifically in groups and what that looks like. So these first few weeks, we've focused on our large gathering, and the next few weeks, we'll focus on the smaller gatherings that we have here at Woodside Bible Church. And this morning, as we look at the individual psalm before us, it is Psalm chapter 40, the 40th psalm. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, you crack that sucker open right in the middle, you'll very likely hit the psalms, and we're in Psalm chapter 40, 17 verses. So we're not going to be able to touch everything in here, but hopefully we'll get a good look at all that God has for us in this psalm. Psalm chapter 40, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. The Lord drew me up from the pit of destruction. He drew me up. Out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, you have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. And so I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor those who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What are the ceremonial gatherings in your life? Maybe you think of something formal, like the way family and friends gather for a wedding ceremony. Or maybe you think of something usually less formal, like the way you gather each evening around the family dinner table for your meal. Maybe you think about the annual gatherings in your life, like around Thanksgiving and Christmas with family and food and gifts and traditions. Maybe you think about the seasonal gatherings that take place in summer at baseball parks and in the fall around football fields. But whether these gatherings are formal or informal, whether they happen every year or every day, We as humans have this instinctive drive to come together, to gather. And this is no less true for us as Christians. When we become followers of Christ through receiving the gospel, we also become a part of this body, this organization, this family, this body of believers in Jesus. And ever since the birth of the church at Pentecost, just as regularly as the new week begins, we are called to gather, to assemble. But what for? Why do we do this? Well, that's what this series, Assembly Required, has been all about. Through the Psalms, we're giving a biblical foundation and practical direction for why we gather each week As the body of Christ. The first week we looked at Psalm chapter 1 and how we gather to delight in God's word. The second week we looked at Psalm 51 and saw how we gather to confess our sin and receive God's grace. Last week we looked at Psalm 145 and saw how we gather to sing God's praises. And this week we're looking at Psalm 40 in order to see how we gather to testify. To God's deliverance we gather to testify to God's deliverance now not too unlike when we gather for dinner each night when we gather we share about how our day was and when we gather for our extended with our extended families during the holiday we talk about what has gone on in our lives over the last year and when we gather To tailgate for football games, we tell stories, we testify to the glory days. In many of our gatherings, whether it's through songs or just through speaking out, we testify, we talk about our experiences, we tell stories about our lives. And as we look at Psalm 40, we'll see it's no different for our gatherings as a church. We gather to testify. To God's deliverance in our lives. So look at verses 1 through 3. David begins the psalm. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. So quickly, let's stop. And we don't get specific historical circumstances of David's life here. Did he write this psalm during one of his many military battles? Was it During some political turmoil that he faced inspiring this psalm, we don't know. There's a few psalms where we get specific details about what's going on in David's life when he wrote the psalm, but that is not the case with Psalm 40. Nevertheless, whatever is going on, we know that David was having to wait on the Lord. David was having to show patience to the Lord. And his timing. At some point during the middle of whatever trial this was, it was like, all right, Lord. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know that nervous anxiety you get when you're ready, but the thing that you're ready for is not ready for you. David said, that was me. I waited patiently for the Lord. And then his testimony continues in verse 1. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. Aha! So it took some waiting, but the Lord shows up. He inclines to David and hears his cry. So have you ever tried to talk to somebody while they're staring at their phone? That person in that moment is not inclined to whatever it is you're saying. At least it doesn't Feel like it. No, they are zoned in. They are inclined to whatever's on their phone. Not so with the Lord. David says he inclined, he leaned in to hear my cry and receive my prayer for help. Then, verse 2 Upon hearing my cry, he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. So now we find out that David waited patiently in the bottom of a pit. So he's buried, he's stuck in this miry, muddy bog or lowland. Now it's hard to know if David is speaking literally or metaphorically here. In other words, was he actually in a hole in the ground or? were his circumstances as such that he poetically describes them this way. But it hardly matters. What's true is that he's trapped. He's helpless. All he can do is cry out and wait. In the second half of verse two, David continues, I waited, I cried out, The Lord heard me. The Lord drew me out of the pit, out of the miry bog. But not only does he take him out of this trap, he then puts his feet on solid ground. Verse 3, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Recently, our boys found this new television show. It's a game show on Netflix, and it's simply called... Floor is lava. Floor is lava. And the idea is that different teams of three people have to make their way across an obstacle course that is surrounded by imitation lava. And whichever team gets the most people across in the shortest amount of time is the winner. And you know, this fake lava is dramatic looking, it's fiery red, it's bubbling up from time to time, it explodes. And the different contestants have to make these difficult leaps from one tiny landing area to another. And the producers of the show do a great job building the tension around each one of these jumps they have to make. I remember looking over at my boys the first time we watched, and they were just wide-eyed on the edge of their seat, I mean, feeling the suspense. And one of the things that's really fun and always happens is when a contestant nails their jump, They make it across. They find solid ground. They avoid the lava. Without fail, what happens is shouts of jubilation, cries of relief, smiles of success. Well, the same thing happens here with David in the rest of verse 3. He's out of the pit. His feet are on the rock. His steps are secure. Verse 3, the Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. From this place of deliverance, having reached this place of safety and security, David sings. David praises the Lord. Through song, he lets everyone know, the Lord is my rock. So church, let's follow David's example and testify that God is our rock. Let's let one another know. Let's let everyone know. God is our rock. In God, we are safe. In God, we are secure. Financial security is not a secure security, no matter how much or how little we have. Our physical security No matter how much we diet and exercise, no matter how much we build up our defenses, stock up our ammo, we are vulnerable. And the ground beneath us can shift underneath our feet before we know it. One of the songs we often sing here is a reflection of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, and the lyrics go like this. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So you hear what we're doing through that song. We're testifying. God has drawn me up out of the pit of sin and death, and he has placed me on the rock that is Christ. And he is rock steady. He's a firm foundation. Because he defeated sin and death through the cross And all other ground, every other option is sinking sand. Every other God will ultimately leave me in the pit, leave me in the grave. But in Christ, we are as secure as his tomb is empty. So church, let's testify. Let's continue to testify that God is our rock. Now look at verse 5. Up until this point, David has been talking to us, telling his story, testifying about how the Lord drew him up out of the pit. But in this next section, he begins to address God. Verse five, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Now, this is remarkable. David says to God, You have multiplied your wondrous deeds. You have multiplied your wondrous thoughts toward us. So not only does God have many wonderful things he's done for us, he also has many wonderful thoughts of us. This is really helpful for me because I can look at my life and see it is clear. God has done many wonderful things for me. I have a beautiful wife, I have beautiful, healthy children, I love my job, I have awesome friends, and then you add to that what God did for us in Jesus, and it is easy to see many wondrous deeds have been done for us. But what does God think about me? What does God feel about me? Sometimes it can be hard to believe God really thinks highly of us because he's seen us at our worst, feel unworthy, feel unlovable. But David confirms here in verse 5, you have multiplied your wondrous thoughts about us. So when God thinks of us, he feels delight. When he thinks of us, he's smiling on the inside. I got to officiate a couple of weddings last weekend, and the best part of officiating weddings is getting to stand next to the groom when the congregation rises, the doors swing open, and we see his bride about to make her way to him. And I can just feel the intensity of his passion, his devotion, and I can almost hear the thought ringing from the groom's heart, I love that woman. Christian, God has acted on our behalf, delivering us from the domain of darkness, delivering us into the kingdom of light, and... Not only has he done this wonderful thing, he thinks wonderful thoughts of you. You are my children. You are precious to me. I am with you. I am for you. So many multiplied deeds done for us and thoughts of us that the Lord has. And so continuing in verse 5, David says, I will proclaim and tell of them all the things you've done on our behalf, all the thoughts you have of us. I will proclaim and tell of them. So along with calling us to testify that God is our rock, David's example also urges us to testify that God multiplies his favor in our lives. God multiplies his favor in our lives. Listen to the way he puts it As he goes on in verses 9 and 10, David says, I have told of the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverances within my heart. It's not just a private religion. No, it's public. I've spoken of your faithfulness, your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and faithfulness from the great congregation. God's deliverance, his faithfulness, his salvation, his love, the multiplicity of his favor. David testifies to it all. David opens his mouth and speaks of it all. So church, let's continue this aspect. Of God's direction for our worship gatherings and our group gatherings. Of speaking and singing and testifying that God has multiplied His favor in our lives. Through His deeds done for us and His thoughts about us. Now from here on out, the psalm takes an interesting turn. The first half of the psalm is testimony of God's deliverance and an expression of David's commitment to continue to testify of God's deliverance. But starting in verse 12, we find out that David is back to the place of needing deliverance. Listen to these verses again, verses 12 through 13. He says, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. My iniquities are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Again. So by the end of the psalm, David's back in the pit. He's surrounded by evil. Iniquity is up to his neck. His heart is failing. So he cries out, deliver me, help me. And so what this teaches us, church, is that the Christian life is not a constant increase in things getting better and better in every way. No, oftentimes deliverance from one pit is followed soon after by another one. I mean, David hasn't even had time to finish this psalm, and he's already speaking of his need for renewed deliverance. I'm thinking of members in our church who've been following Christ for decades and in their last years have to face the struggle of becoming a widow or a widower. Losing a spouse can feel like being stuck in a pit, stuck in grief some days. I'm thinking about some of our members. Who are right now on the edge of retirement. They're almost there. They put in decades of work. They're ready for this new season of retirement. And then a global pandemic hits. And the entire economy is overturned. And who knows where we go from here. I'm thinking about some of you guys. Who have overcome all sorts of personal struggles and addiction. You climbed out of that valley by the grace of God. And then you start to feel the tug of temptation all over again. And before you know it, you're like, my iniquity has overtaken me. So the Christian life is not always this joyride of sheer ecstasy all the way to heaven. No, as the Apostle Paul says in his letters to Timothy, we have to fight the fight of faith. We have to run the race of faith, and in fights you get knocked down sometimes, and in races you get winded sometimes. There's ups and downs. That's exactly what David shows us here. He's out of one pit and into another in the same psalm, and so we need, like David, to pray that God would keep us testifying. Pray that God would keep us testifying. Let's pray that God's spirit. Would sustain us. When we're weak. Let's pray that God's presence would fill us. When we're alone. And let's pray that our faith would be nourished. As we look to the cross. Let's pray that our faith would be nourished. As we remember the empty tomb, as we sink our roots into the rock that is Christ. Lord, help us. We ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand. And Before we have one more opportunity to testify, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the way this psalm speaks to our realities. We thank you, Father, that it meets us where we are, in the pit, out of one pit into another one. God, we thank you for the way that Scripture is down to earth and speaks to our experience. Father, I pray that it also would guide us, Lord, as we struggle As we wait, as we cry out, Lord, may this psalm and our continued look at the psalms encourage us, strengthen us, and give us guidance in the fight of faith. Give us encouragement in the race of faith. Father, we thank you so much for this chance to gather at the start of each week and to speak into one another's lives, to share in the great congregation your deliverance in our lives we have ultimate and final hope because the pit that Jesus dead body laid in that pit is empty and we're united to Jesus through faith and so we're gonna rise out of our tomb we're gonna rise out of the grave made new and we're secure even now because he's on his throne in heaven and so, Father, as we sing into one another's lives right now, God, I pray we would be encouraged. I pray we would receive the joy of the Spirit. Move now through our song for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.